We have just a short podcast for you today. We're, we're on the road. Yeah, right now we're at the airport in New Orleans, uh, about to get on our flights. But we do uh, want to bring you a couple things. Uh, we're both very excited about the finale of Breaking Bad. And if you've watched Breaking Bad at all, you know that the whole show is centered around this guy who makes really awesome blue meth. Awesome, but, you know, life-destroying. It's not good for you, but it's awesome in its blueness. Mark Hansen is the prop master for Breaking Bad. So, uh, Mark, how do you make this uh, blue meth? I kind of did research, and and I came across uh, a page, a web page that sells bulk rock candy. And the cotton candy-flavored rock candy was the perfect color blue. So when you actually go on set and there's blue meth, it smells like cotton candy on set. So (laughs) it's kind of a funny little, uh, you know side note. And they're both equally bad for your teeth, I imagine. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, they, uh, they're not good for the teeth. So, uh, I, I mean, I, I think about, you know, the scenes where you see a little bit of it, um, but there are also scenes where you see crates of it. What, what was the most uh, co- <laughs> cotton candy flavored rock, rock candy you had to buy? Bit of a tongue twister. Um, yeah. I think, at, you know, at the beginning of every season, I think I would buy about 200 pounds, um, which actually volume-wise isn't all that much. When you would see the bins full of rock candy, not only would those be impossible for Aaron Paul to lift because uh, they would be incredibly heavy, uh, we would uh, sort of false out the middle with bubble wrap or a box or something like that. So you'd really just see the sides, you know. So when they have those cookie sheets that they then break down to form the, the rocks of meth, are you guys making that? Yeah, what, what the special effects guys uh, have a, it, it, this sort of acrylic that they could pour that, um, that would break, you know, once you would hit it like that. So we would make, you know, effects would make the sheets, and then, you know, once they break it up, then the final result would be, then we'd put in place my rock candy. So... So, so what's the uh, what's your favorite prop that you've come up with? I think the best prop that the one I had most fun that was also challenging was Tuco's grill in the acrylic cube. For, for people that don't watch the show, basically somebody came to you and said, "We need uh, silver or platinum teeth in the center of a clear cube. Make it." Yeah, and the the thing was on that the story behind that is they showed him throwing it in the river, and from a prop standpoint. I can't just have one cube to throw in the river because that's one take. So I actually had to get, I think, 15 of them made. You know, he's truly throwing it into a river. And I had, you know, some of my crew flanking the outskirts of the camera view with with fishing nets to catch any that they could. <laughs> but um, I think we lost a couple down the river. And there are several scenes where we see um, just vast amounts of, of cash uh, were you using real money, and and I guess if so, how much? <laughs> um, legally, you're not allowed to use real money on film, huh, and uh, so every every bit of the money you saw on on screen was fake. And again, it was it was a lot of fake money. I had a lot of fake money to deal with, um, and you know when you see that big pile of money, of course, the interior was again was you know, essentially cardboard boxes. When the guys laid down on top of it, we had to build a reinforced box for uh, fuel to lay on it. But, uh, but 
yeah, it's 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 all fake money, but it it was a lot of it. When you guys when you were doing that, did you, you talk about uh, Vince Gilligan's attention to detail? Was there did did they get into like like what would happen to that much money if two guys laid on top of it? Oh, absolutely. We we preset that whole scene up uh, a few days before shooting it. We had stand-in actors of the same weight and size come in and lay on it, and Vince's comment was, you know, it should flex a little more, so we had to add more foam padding underneath uh, the layers of money so that it would kind of sponge out a little, you know, sponge down a little more. Well, Mark, thanks so much, and uh, congrats on a, on a great series. That's great. You guys don't want to know how it ends? Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, what do they, what, how do they tell, tell you not to share spoilers? How, how do they secure the story with, with a, a staffer like you? Um, you know, it's, it's a little tricky for them, and there's a certain honor system that we have, and, and the crew that was on Breaking Bad was on it for most of the time. So there was a, there was a fierce loyalty to Vince and, you know, the producers. And I think everybody, a lot of people that didn't need to know got uh, what are uh, termed redacted scripts, which means they had big sections blacked out. Uh Um, I I did not get the redacted because I needed to know what, what props might be, you know, in use. And are all the scripts, they're all paper copies. I'm sure there's no electronic copies out there. You know, there's electronic copies, but you cannot, you can't forward them. You can't, you can't print them. You can't do anything with them. So, um, but they, yeah, they're, they, they were mostly printed. Anything printed also had your name stamped all over it. So if you lost a script or left it somewhere, you'd get in trouble. Ooh, did that ever happen? Uh, I, I think the only time it happened was when uh, Brian Cranston got his stolen out of his car. He's probably the only guy in the whole production of the show who could get away with that. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. Well, this is great. Thanks again, Mark. Not a problem. You guys have a good day. You may have heard uh, at, a, at a baseball game between the Angels and the Mariners, some bees got loose on the field. It delayed the game for more than 20 minutes. On the line with us now is John Poto, and John was there. So, John, uh, why don't you tell us what happened? Well, first of all, we were having a little going-away party for my son, who's going back to school. So we rented a suite behind home plate, you know, which is pretty unusual. I mean, that's pretty expensive. I don't normally get suites behind home plate. But anyway, we were behind home plate, and uh, about the fourth inning, you know, we noticed there was some commotion, and the game had been stopped, and... I guess people started saying there's some bees, there's some bees, but uh, so I, I was like, well, you know, I didn't really volunteer myself or anything, but of course my son and his friends had to start barking over there, the umpires, and saying, yeah, we got a beekeeper sitting right here, you know. So I'm like, okay, okay. You're a you're a beekeeper. Well, I'm I'm more of a honey packer now. I used to, I started off as a beekeeper. You said you're a honey packer. I've never heard that that term. We're still beekeepers. We still have beehives, but we also purchase honey from other beekeepers, and then we pack it. So we kind of classify ourselves as both a beekeeper and a honey packer. Anyhow, so sure enough, the ground the grounds guy came over. He looked like he was in a state of panic, and he was like, you could help me out. He gave me a, a Gatorade bucket and a broom. We ran out there, 
uh, which is quite an experience, you know, never running onto a baseball field with 30,000 people before. But anyway, that was a lot of fun. And we ran out to center field, and uh, lo and behold, they go, they're, they're basically just it's still flying. They're, they're, they're swarming. And um, I was like, well, uh, guys, because uh, these bees, the, the queen needs to land somewhere before I can gather these bees for you, you know. How, how many bees are we talking about? Oh, probably in a good-sized swarm, which this was. Could be anywhere around 20,000 or so. What? <laughs> really? So yeah, 20, when, when, they, when, they, when they form the, when they do, when the queen does land, you know, form a cluster around the queen, it'll be anywhere from the size of a softball to a large basketball, sometimes even bigger. It just depends on how, how big of a swarm it is. So I was out there, and I said, well, um, what I can try to do is I'll... The, bee, the queen's looking for a place to land, and they're, you're out in this baseball field, which is there's no trees, of course. So I said, well, I'll, I'll just try an old beekeeper trick. I'll just I'll stick something up in the air and, and see if the queen parks on it, you know, like it's a tree branch or something. And then if that happens, I'll be able to, they'll all land there, and I can take them off the field. So I stood there for a while, and, you know, I was putting my, my broom up in the air and everything, and they were starting to come, and then at some point, the bees started to kind of drift towards center field, and so I kind of went with them, I mean, toward the center field wall. And at that point, they flew over the center field wall, and they landed up in some some kind of tree or something that was behind the, the center field wall. At that point, you know, I told them, I said, I think you guys could go ahead and go ahead and resume the game, you know. I mean, they found a home here. They found a spot, and those bees, all those bees that are flying around, they're going to they're gonna make their way over here to the bushes eventually. Now, was this whole thing on the Jumbotron? Were people watching? Oh, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it was on the Jumbotron, which, uh, you know, I was a little uh, self-conscious. Uh, <laughs> I saw myself up there on the Jumbotron, and I was like, okay, you know, and they started playing Flight of the Bumblebee at the same time. There was a little bit of a panic thing going on there with the people around the bleachers. They were, like, cowering behind towels, and people were scurrying, and, you know, even some of the ball players were running off the field, and I won't name names, but anyhow, they, uh, they were quite, you know, a little bit, a little worried. Well, when I went out there and stood out there, everybody was a little bit shocked, so I think it did help, at least it helped to calm people down a little bit that, you know, these guys aren't going to attack you, you know? Was it the Angels or the Mariners players that ran off the field? Mariners, of course, not the Angels. Oh. Yeah, we're, no, our Angels would never do that. Now, I think uh, having no no real bee expertise myself, uh, in that situation, I think I would have ended up grabbing a baseball bat and heading out there and trying to wave them in, wave them well, away. Well, actually, uh, just, just just to have a little fun with the situation, because I, I you know I was standing there with that broom and I saw myself on the jumbotron and I go, I got to do something, man. So I I did take a few mock baseball swings at him and I got a few laughs from the crowd because you know but no that's that's what you don't want to do is you don't want to start swatting at him all right John thanks so much for telling us about this all right bye-bye that does it for this week's show well we learned today Mike well, I learned that there's something else you can do with uh, cotton candy, rock candy, other than eat it. You still you shouldn't take it um, medicinally, recreationally. But you can make a lot of money selling that on the street. You know, it is weird to think about uh, all those dark scenes where, where this meth is showing up and that it smells like cotton candy in that room. Yeah, it's the kind of thing where even though you know it's this, supposed to be this horrible thing, you kind of want to try it. You want to taste it. I think the only place that uh, feels that creepy and dark and smells like cotton candy 
Uh, the only other place is the circus. I I learned that if you if you want to uh, catch bees, an old trick is to act like a tree, to pose like a tree, so they come to you. Do you think you need to let birds nest in you? I th- I think it can't hurt. I would want. Do you think that squirrels would ever get confused and think those are acorns? How to Do Everything is produced by Blythe Haga with technical direction from Lorna White. Our intern this week is Mario Medina, all the way down in Concepcion in Chile. Good job, Mario. Congratulations. Bienvenidos. That's not what that means. Get us your questions at howto at npr.org. And visit our website, howtodoeverything.org. And you know, I just got to say, the Hudson News we're staring at is really nice. So if you're, in, if you're in the New Orleans airport and you need a neck pillow or Martha Stewart Living Magazine. The Hudson News near Terminal B2 can't be beat. Yeah, pretty hoodies, only $19.99. I'm Ian. And I'm Mike. Thanks. Thanks. Hey, have a good flight.